That's kind of the entrance that I like to make when I show up in a place. <laughs> Let everybody know I'm here this morning. I can tell some of you were asleep. I know that got you. But uh, wasn't that a wonderful... Give another hand clap there since I, I interrupted it. Uh, yeah, that was a wonderful testimony and uh, just something to be thoughtful about and to pray about as we uh, enter into this Awaken Hope campaign. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways uh, to be generous. I know during this season it seems like we've always got people that uh, anonymously will do something for people and sometimes they'll make the church the 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 mediary and say hey we want to give this person this but we want to be anonymous or whatever but somehow or another during this season God starts to stir generosity in people's hearts and there's people that are in need and we love partnering with our uh, school system uh, with a couple of schools Goose Rock and as Jeremy was saying uh, Paces Creek to, to help a few kids and all of our people like we, we get the kids covered plus more usually and uh, we usually do anywhere from 50 and 75 children and we just get them some gifts and you guys are always involved in that so that's one thing and then of course when it comes to this uh, offering that we're going to receive next week it's going to go toward a lot of the things that we're that we're planning to do as far as our building and our future goes here and those types of things but we're going to take a portion of that like I said uh, last week and give that to Chad's Hope and to Heart and Soul Life Center and we're going to try to uh, partner with Heart and Soul Life Center to get other donors involved throughout the community to keep that ministry going. Because when we have good ministries here in the community, what we don't want to do ever is to compete against those ministries. We want to make sure that those ministries are flourishing as much as possible. So pray about that. Ask what the Lord would have you to give. And then just be obedient to the Lord. That's all that I would ask from, from, from you. Amen. All right, so I want to preach a message this morning. I got a bunch of thoughts in my mind, and I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit would help make it coherent and a decent message. Uh, but I've titled it, The Dynamics of Discouragement. And I'm going to start from 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, verse 1 through 4. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 through 4. Let's read this together. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Let's pray together real quick. Father, we, just, we thank you so much for your word. And God, this morning, I just pray that you would bring life to it. God, when you send forth your word, I believe you bring illumination by your spirit, God, and you, you prod around in our hearts, God. And so I pray that you would do this this morning, God, that you would open our hearts and you would speak directly to us in whatever situation we may find ourselves in, God. There's people in a variety of, of backgrounds here and going through different things, different levels of discouragement. Some people may come in here feeling on top of the world, but either way, God, you want to do something in our hearts and you want to bring us into just what Lindsay was saying, a greater dimension of freedom and a greater realization of your character and your goodness. And so, Lord, we pray for an outpouring of your spirit through your word this morning to change us by it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, you know, I, I love reading the Bible because when I'm reading the Bible, one of the things that you find, you know, if I read about Elijah, if somebody just causes me to think about Elijah, I, I think about a superhero in my mind. But, you know, even the New Testament in the book of James says that Elijah was a man of, of like nature just like us, that he was a human being with the same set of struggles. And if you read the Bible, one of the big hang-ups that people have is all of the horrific things that happen in Scripture. But what's happening is that the Bible is just telling the truth, y'all. Because every human being throughout history, other than the Lord Jesus Christ, ultimately, on their very best day, still was a mess. And on, after their very best victories, often 
had deep internal struggles that most of us all have because it is a reflection of who we are and what we're going through. And so oftentimes when you read a biography or somebody's got their Instagram post up, they're going to tell you all the best things that happened during that time, right? Like you, 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 what you didn't see about Thanksgiving in any photos that my wife posted was that I took two big naps on Thursday. You know what I'm saying? You, you see the highs a lot of times, but you don't see the lows, but that was actually a great high for me, uh, two naps. But some things go hidden, but what you're going to see when you read the story of Elijah here is specifically is that, that God is being honest, Elijah is being honest, and you're seeing that he is a man like us that is having some dark days. And what you see in this particular picture is that he is literally at his darkest day. Now let me, let me give you a little background in case you have no idea who Elijah is or what even the point is of what I just read. If you read the story of Elijah, he shows up for about three or four chapters mainly in the book of 1 Kings. And all of a sudden he comes out of nowhere, he's on the scene in 1 Kings chapter 17 it says Elijah the Tishbite appears and basically he declares you know what you guys are following other false gods the word of God says that if you're not going to worship him then, I, then God will shut up the heavens so I'm just going to come into agreement with God's word and I declare that there shall be no dew nor rain except at my command until I say so and for three years Elijah prayed a prayer and the heavens were shut up so over the land of Israel what happens is famine comes, food uh, sources are depleted, and there's a great, terrible time in the land. And during that time, rather than turning to the Lord over the course of those three years, uh, you have Ahab, who is this passive man who worships Baal, and he's married to a woman named Jezebel, whose dad was the high priestess, high priestess of a demon goddess named Asherah. So you have the king of Israel and the queen of Israel who literally worship demons for a living. Amen. And that's the, that's the condition of the nation that they're currently in. And I would argue that if you wanted to really get down into it, I'm not going to this morning, but we have some of the same issues in our very own nation that whether you believe it or not, there are people in our nation who are leaders and knowingly or unknowingly, they worship demon gods. Amen. Okay. So this is the condition that they find themselves in. And so Elijah does some miracles, man. He's living behind the scenes. There's supernatural resources that are provided for him. God feeds him with ravens in the wilderness. He goes to a woman in Zarephath and, and he does a supernatural miracle there. And they're fed for a while. And then all of a sudden, as, as God is doing that, that child dies. Elijah raises that child from the dead. I mean, he is gaining spiritual strength until finally God speaks to him and says, Now's the time. It's time for a show." And I want you to go and confront Ahab. And so he goes up and he sees one of his old prophet buddies and his prophet buddy who knows Ahab comes down and says, Elijah, what are you doing, bro? You can't be coming back right now. They done already tried to kill all the prophets. I've hid like 150 is all I could scrounge up. But they're going to kill you. All he talks about every day is killing you, Elijah. What are you doing? He says, and if I go and the Spirit carries you off, he's going to kill me for even saying you were here. And he says, listen, I'm about to talk to Ahab today. You go in there and you get him. Elijah doesn't have an entourage he doesn't have an army but he has the power of God and a word from God to go in the name of the Lord to confront those demonic forces over the nation and so he stands up and Ahab comes out and he says what are you doing here you troubler of Israel and Elijah basically just calls him out he says you calling me a troubler son you're the troubler you know and he starts to get into it with Ahab a little bit and he says I want you to call all the 850 false prophets that you and your wife served that sat at Jezebel's table and I want you to meet me at Mount Carmel and you know he walks up he's just kind of like this he probably even had that feedback you know come show up just let everybody know he was there like I had and he walks up on Mount Carmel and he said we're gonna find out who's God's God he says you're gonna make your altar and your sacrifice and they spent hours upon hours cutting themselves doing all kinds of uh, ritualistic rituals to, to worship their God Baal and try to call down fire out of heaven and no fire comes and Elijah mocks them and says well, maybe he's using the bathroom you know maybe I, I don't know where your God's at but maybe something's wrong with him and finally they give up after hours of trying it and, and Elijah has a trench dug around the altar and he re rebuilds the altar to Yahweh that was broken down and he digs a trench around it and pours water all over it and lays the sacrifice on the altar calls fire down out of heaven that licks up the sacrifice and all the water around and all of the people fall to their faces and say your Lord the Lord Yahweh he is the one true God and he won a great victory and get this he took all of the false prophets down to the brook Kidron and slew them there and at this point I imagine Elijah saying you know what this is what I've been praying and fasting about 
This is what I've been believing God for. And I have seen, imagine seeing those kinds of victories. Imagine God providing supernatural resources. You're raising some woman's boy from the dead. Then you showing up and legitimately calling fire down out of heaven in front of a nation that has rebelled against and rejected God. Many of them say the Lord, He is God. But guess what? There's a woman that shows up. Elijah even is so excited at this point that he goes and prays. And he says, Lord, start the rains back. They're turning back to you. Let, unle unleash the rain on the land. They're turning back to you. And you know what? The rain starts to come. He sees the, a cloud the size of a man's fist, and he's in great faith. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, word comes to Elijah. Well, guess what? Ahab went back after you defeated all those prophets of Baal, and Jezebel sent a messenger out. And that messenger said, that she has literally made a deal with the devil and said, all you false gods. That's what false gods are, folks. They're demon principalities. And she's literally made a deal with the devil and said, Satan, you can do whatever you want to do with me if I don't have him dead by tomorrow. So she's pulled all of her resources in a moment of time and all of, of the nation together and said, you know what? Forget it. I'm not saying the Lord is, is God. I'm going to kill Elijah. And that right there, that one voice. I want you to think about this because in your life, this spoke to me so clearly the other day. I know this is broad view story right here, but I want you to consider your own life and the ways that all of a sudden the wind gets knocked out of you. Because in my own life, it's so interesting to me that this man has defeated 850 prophets. He has raised the dead. He has the power to call down fire out of heaven. But yet one voice... Knocks the wind out of him. Have you ever considered that? Yeah. One voice drive this, drives this man into absolute despair. And it says, the Bible says, he was afraid. Well, I'm thinking that Elijah is a man that eats nails for breakfast. I mean, all of a sudden, when I read that line, and he was afraid, after I've read all of the things that he's done, I'm thinking to myself, how is this even possible? How could a man that just called down fire out of heaven, raised the dead, and has provided rain, he prayed in the heaven, it hadn't rained for three and a half years, and all of a sudden, and all of a sudden one voice, and he's afraid. And that seems strange to me, except for the fact that I know this about myself. I can win great spiritual victories. I can pray and fast. I can see God heal people. I can preach sermons and see lives changed and people saved. And sometimes all it takes is one voice to come into my life to destroy me and I'm ready to give up. Have y'all ever been there? Can you name that one voice? There, one voice comes into your life that discourages you to a point where you say, Lord, I, I can't take it no more. And you're overwhelmed with these thoughts because of one voice. One voice that comes into your life that causes you to compromise your morals. One voice that causes you to go back where you came from and reject all of the advancement that you've had. One voice that causes you to say, I'm tired of ministry. I don't want to do this anymore. Because even after all of the good that you've seen, sometimes because we're human beings, all it takes is one bad thing, one negative thing, one sour voice to knock the wind out of us completely. Y'all ever been there? That's one of the truest things I have ever heard. I can be rolling down the road doing well, and sometimes all it takes is one voice to destroy the direction that I'm headed. But here's the thing. You must refuse to allow people to have more authority than God in your life. Sometimes we allow other voices to have more authority than the voice of God in our life. God has called me to something. God has said, Clay, you need to do this. God has said, Clay, I know you're going to face resistance, but you I'm calling you to do this. And one voice comes in and all of a sudden it's much louder than the voice that God spoke to me with to bring me into that place. And sometimes we allow other voices to come in and have more authority than the very voice of God in our lives. And my question is, what voice or voices are you actually listening to in your life that are causing you to compromise what God is calling you to do as a person, as a human being, as a parent, as a co-worker, whatever it may be? What voices are causing you to compromise? And sometimes we'll receive such criticism that we'll actually compromise with those critics for a false sense of security. We just want the voices to shut up. I'll quit pushing so hard into it. You know, the devil will attack you when you're pushing hard into God because he wants you to keep, keep from pushing any further in and criticism and attack and negativity will flood your mind. Why? Because he wants you to compromise and give up so that you don't push in any further. And those voices will come in a moment of time. I was reading this week 
guy named Jeremiah Johnson. I don't think it's the guy that wore the big animal fur coat, but it could have been. He said this. He said, you cannot allow yourself to become so easily manipulated by people's criticisms and attacks. Do not try to maintain peace in your heart and life based off of whether people accept or reject you. Most of the time, God will not deliver you from your accusers, but rather He will actually save you by using the accusations to kill the part of you that makes you vulnerable to the devil's attacks in the first place. Both God and the devil want you to die, but for different reasons. Satan wants to destroy you through attacks and criticisms and then drain you by your unwavering need to explain yourself and your side of the story. On the other hand, God wants to crucify that part in you that was so easily exploited by the devil to begin with. The rest and peace that you are so desiring in your life and ministry will only come when you finally die to what people say and think about you. Hallelujah. In order to deliver you from the praise of men, God will baptize you in their criticisms and attacks. Don't grow discouraged. And rather than rushing to explain yourself, ask the Lord, what inside of me are you exposing through the accusation and attacks of others that needs to die in me? That is really good. And here's the thing you have to ask yourself. So many people, they get into ministry honestly. And sometimes maybe they get into it genuinely because they want to serve God, but it ends up becoming what I really want is the praise of men. What I really desire is for people to pat me on the back. What I really desire is for people to love me and sort of give me a little bit of praise and applause and say, such a good job. And Elijah's gotten to a point, man, where the woman was so happy when, when, when the, man was, the boy was raised from the dead, he got some applause. And when he opened the heavens, I'm sure he got some applause. But all of a sudden, he's done a great miracle. And the ones that he thought would turn to him and give him applause rejected him and said, no, I actually want you dead. I hate you. I can't stand this. I don't like what you're doing, Elijah. You're troubling us. You're aggravating us. And can I tell you that the deeper you go in with God, the more resistance you will face, and it will manifest itself in certain voices. And he's saying that sometimes God will actually allow people to attack you and criticize you because he needs you to be set free from that rejection of man, and he needs you to be set free from the fear of man. He needs you to come to a place where you do it for God and for God alone, whether it hair lips the devil or everybody else it makes everybody else angry i'm doing this because god has called me to it yeah, that's good. Amen. amen i don't know i don't know if you all have ever received criticism or you've been discouraged or anybody has said anything negative about you it could be in a variety of different ways because i'm not even just many of you you have ministries that aren't pulpit ministry that aren't church ministry but you're ministering to children on a regular basis you're in your workplaces many of you are at schools and sometimes based on your past based on different things that you've dealt with you receive criticisms you receive discouragement sometimes it's from outside sources sometimes it's from the thought in your mind that the devil is placed there to make you think you can't go on and you can't make it because you're ultimately a piece of trash and you have to throw those voices into the fire and let them burn amen so many great men in scripture struggled with this dynamic of discouragement and you know i don't know what it is what is it about the fact you know i went to a pastor's conference a couple of weeks ago and just to hear two men that i look up to that are 48 years old and in ministry and been pastoring much longer than me and them just lay out all the horrible stuff that they had went through it made me feel good you know like praise god man i'm glad you guys went through such horrible experiences Because I just sat back here and thought you were like Elijah and you had an S for superhero on your chest and you were just getting through everything in life without any discouragement, without any difficulty and it is never, ever, ever the truth. You're going to face discouragement and there's dynamics to that but you remember Moses had similar issues. He faced a lot of criticism and negativity. The word that is used most for the people of Israel and their behavior while in the wilderness, the people of God going into the promised land, having a promise from God as Moses is leading them, the one word that is used the most about their character and their behavior is complaining. The number one word, complaining, murmuring, grumbling. 
And Moses, when he sets out, if you remember, Moses is defending the people. And he's, God says, you know what? These people don't already worship the false god as soon as I bring the Ten Commandments in. Step aside, Moses. I'm going to destroy them, and I'm going to start over with you. And Moses stands in the gap and intercedes and says, Lord, if you destroy them, then blot my name out too. And God steps back and says, now, I've got a man that I can trust, and I've got a man who can lead because he's willing to stand in the gap on behalf of the people. But get this, the same people that Moses... Moses stood in the gap for and interceded for and loved and said, God, if you blot them out, blot my name out too. All of a sudden, day after day, week after week, year after year, those complaints and that murmuring and that bickering started to wear on the man. Anybody amen me? It's like death by a thousand paper cuts. You let it, you know, you, you, you learn how to love and you're loving people, but all of a sudden it happens next week and then the next week. And then the next week, and then the next month, and then the next year, it's something huge. And you're just like, God, how many times am I going to have to go through this? And all of a sudden, you're worn out, you're burnt out to the point where you're just like, I can't take another complaint. I just cannot deal with it. And Moses ends up, God says, Moses, they're thirsty again. They're complaining again. Go down and speak to the rock because you've already smoked it, which was a picture of Christ smitten on the cross and the Holy Spirit flowing out. But rather than going down and speaking to the rock, which is a symbol of prayer on the their behalf he goes back down there son and hollers at him and says hear thou you rebels and he hit the rock again when he was supposed to speak to it and God said because you did that and you misrepresented me in front of the eyes of the people and your heart turned from one that loved the people and interceded for the people to one that accused the people and became angry with the people therefore you cannot go into the promised land Moses pleaded with him he said Lord please I've been doing this 40 years. Let me go into the promised land. He says, I'll let you see it, but do not speak to me anymore in this matter. Would not let him go into the promised land. Why? Because somewhere along the way, the murmuring and the complaining and the ones that he was supposed to love in the middle of it are the ones that he became the accuser of. His heart turned. His love grew cold. And there was a failure to love. And in, in all of our lives, whether we're leading in this ministry or even with our children, what's going to be tested at the end of the day is not how well we preached or how good we did on Sunday or how many songs we... What's going to be tested is did we love people when it got difficult? Did we love people when it got difficult, when they became hard to love, when everybody was against us, when people were speaking negatively about us, whatever we were going through? See, you got to ask yourself, how are you currently dealing with criticism, negativity, and complaining? And some of you are the complainers. Amen, that'll preach. I got one laugh out of that. Just own up to it this, this morning. How are you doing when people don't trust you and when people hurt you? Failure to love, you'll lose your credibility and it'll keep you from fulfilling what God has called you to do. And here's the other thing that I want you to consider because what about when things just don't turn, away, turn out the way that you expected them and you're disappointed? I talk to people all the time in different modes of life and what they come to me with is things just didn't turn out the way they expected. They thought they would pray and God would answer the prayer this way. They thought that well, God, why would, you, why, would, why would I have to be going through this? And so often what I'm finding in God is that if he's allowing something to take place in my life, my question is, should not be, God, why are you not fixing this the way I want it fixed? My question should be, God, what is it in my heart that you're trying to expose that needs to be transformed? What is it that I'm need, needing to, if I'm having to go through this and I'm so aggravated and to me you just seem careless, then why is it that you allow me to keep going through this? And see, the thing about it is, is sometimes I, I've been criticized over the years and it was kind of got to a point where it's like death by a thousand paper cuts for me. And there was just like one criticism that almost just broke my back down and I just told, Lord, I'm done, God. You get somebody else. I'm t I, you know what, I could go, I'd like to have a job where I didn't even know. I'd like to sit in an igloo and build il igloos by myself in Alaska. <laughs> you ever get to that point with people? It's just, I don't, I don't want to be around anybody. I don't, people are not that great. <laughs> and the Lord says, amen, Clay, but you know what? I love them so much I died for them. I said, well, I ain't about to die for them. <laughs> But you know what? In all the process, that's exactly where he's trying to take me. He wants me to love human beings the same way that he does. Yeah. And that's a hard process, man. And you're wrestling with that and wrestling through that. That is the goal of life, to learn to love like Christ loved. 
and laid down his life for people so that they might, ha- might have eternal life. But see, when things don't go the way that you want them and you're disappointed in God, all of a sudden something happens and you get angry at God, you get frustrated at God, and really probably he's wanting to do something in, in your heart. I read something recently. There was a kind of a study done because I don't know if you understand this is popular or not, but if you look at people like, if you, if you were to interview, for example, the 50-year-olds and the 60-year-olds in this church and ask them questions and then interview the 20-year-olds in this church and ask them questions, you would get dramatically different answers because the 20-year-olds have been shaped by TikTok. And they believe what the elitists are teaching and pumping into their brains day by day about different things in the world. And that's just, that's just how that it works. But most people in their faith that are young now, they're doing something that's very popular called deconstructing their faith. Now some things that are not of God and not biblical should be deconstructed. Amen. But when you deconstruct your faith to where you reject Scripture, you reject the authority of the Bible, and you reject Jesus Christ as the Son of the living God, then all of a sudden you've deconstructed to a place of destruction. And what they say is is that if you press into it and you interview people who have went through this process of deconstruction, is that all of these young people have experienced some form of trauma that they've ended up projecting on God, and ultimately what they've done is they've gotten mad and angry at God. And so now they're deconstructing their faith. Because in America, what we don't usually have is a good theology for when things don't turn out the way we thought they should have turned out. Because we go to church on Sunday and everybody says, your breakthrough is coming, God's going to heal, God's going to deliver, God's going to save. And you know, and the thing is, I love that preaching. I do. Because I believe, I believe with all of my heart that God delivers, that God heals, that God saves. But guess what else happens in life? Sometimes things don't work out how you wanted them to. And sometimes your prayer is not answered when you wanted the way that you wanted. And you need a theology to know how to process that pain with God so that when the Breakthrough doesn't come when you thought it should have come. You are still holding on to the one that loves you. You have to have something in you that knows how to process that. Next week I may come and preach breakthroughs coming because I believe that it comes. I mean, Lindsay just gave a testimony of a great breakthrough. But it came through her processing her trauma. Through God not showing up when she was a child the way that she wanted him to. Didn't seem like he always was providing for her. Didn't seem like he always was taking care of her. But then all of a sudden he reveals himself and says, No, 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 if you trust me, you'll find that I am good and I am faithful and I will take care of you. And sometimes when things are bad, I'm doing something deeper that you cannot understand because I'm God and you're not. And at the end of the day, my goal as God is not to make you as comfortable as you can be and have all of the things that you desire. My goal is to transform your heart into a person through which the Holy Spirit can flow so that you look more like Jesus Christ every single day of your life and you allow love to flow through this world. And when you go through torture and you go through torment and you go through hard times, people still see the reflection of God Himself in you. Bitterness is not eating you up. But see, where has bitterness crept in? And accusations against people you're called to love, serve, and partner with. Where has that bitterness crept in toward people that you're called to love? Satan hides, hides, what Satan does, he has a very good way. I shouldn't say good way. He's skilled at hiding the glory from you that's all around you and unveiling the destruction. And that's how he uses news media more than anything. How often do they show you the glory? They very rarely do. I'm talking about the beauty of God. But they show you the destruction, don't they? And our, our lens starts to be tainted with that. Satan is so good at causing you to see things from a destructive viewpoint and never seeing the glory of God all around you. He hides the glory. He hides the beauty. I was watching a movie. I'm going to recommend it. It's got Brad Pitt in it, y'all. So you'd be like, I'll watch that. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to bet none of y'all seen this movie. It's called The Tree of Life. Anybody, anybody seen this movie? you got to have time to meditate if you're going to go through it, okay? So take your time, maybe one day watch that if you can. Uh, but this guy, Terrence Malick, he wrote this movie. And, and I, I don't even think it's a Christian movie, but to me it's one of the most Christian movies I've ever seen. And in it, there's inner dialogue, all kinds of things going in. But the mother says this at one point early on in the movie, and it's kind of the theme throughout the movie. But she says this. She says there are two ways through life, the way of nature and the way of grace. You have to choose which one you'll follow. Grace doesn't try to please itself, accepts being slighted, forgotten, disliked, accepts insults and injuries, 
Nature only wants to please itself. Get others to please it too. Likes to lord it over them. To have its own way. And this, this really hit me in the guts and I started crying. It finds reasons to be unhappy when all the world is shining around it and love is smiling through all things. It finds reasons to be unhappy when love is shining through all the world around it. Sometimes I think about, you know, as, as dads, we go home sometimes and we'll see our wife and our kids and somehow or another we're unhappy or aggravated when you have the glory of God sitting right there in front of you. Have you ever considered that? Satan veils us and gives us reasons to be unhappy about how things aren't working out and, 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 and how things aren't good and we wish it was this way or we wish it was that way. But we need to say, God, would you peel the veil back off of our eyes so that we could see the beauty of the glory of God all around us and not only see the destruction, we need to see, God, what you are showing us. Amen? There's a guy named Demas in the Bible in 2 Timothy 4.10. Like I said, I got a lot of thoughts, but it says, Paul said about Demas, he said, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And it's so interesting. It says, Demas was in love with this present world, and he has deserted me. But here's the thing about Demas, and, and I, you know, I heard some, a guy talking about this, and I, and I read some other scholars on what they said. And some people say that Demas, he kind of gets a bad rap here, because here's the thing. Demas deserts Paul simply because of this. Paul is an enemy of the state. If he goes and hangs out with Paul and talks to Paul, he's considered an enemy of the state. Demas still actually wants to be in ministry. He still wants to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but he loves the world so much and the applause of men that he doesn't want to take the negativity that he must receive if he's going to yoke up with Paul. And so he says, you know what? I can still serve Jesus in an easy place. I can still serve Jesus somewhere where people won't hate me, where people won't reject me. I don't have to yoke up with Paul. And he's saying, you know what? He may want to be in ministry, but he's actually running from his call because what he wants more than doing ministry for Jesus is the applause of men. And sometimes God's going to send you into a place that's difficult. You're not going to like it. It may not be your preference. And everybody just thinks, no, 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 no. God should send me to the place where it's the easiest and where I'm the most comfortable and what he's saying is, no, it may be that you love this present world and you're more worried about being comfortable than you are my Holy Spirit working glory in you in a place that's challenging and difficult. And sometimes we get escapist thoughts. Have you ever thought, I don't know about you, but sometimes even in ministry especially, like you get to the point where you know God's called you and you can't get out of it no matter what, but you start to have these fantasies about other jobs? Y'all may not relate. Y'all ever had a fantasy about that? Like, there's, maybe I can get out of this. Maybe there's a way. But when God calls you into something, God calls you into something. And he intends on, on working it through. And that's the thing with Elijah. Is he's working with Elijah. It's like, no, Elijah, it may not always go the way that you want it. And even when you do miracles and people don't respond the way that you thought they should respond, I'm still doing something and my call is still upon your life. But we have escapist thoughts nonetheless saying, how do I get out of this? I don't like it. It's not working out the way that I wanted it to. So let me give you a quick reflection and then I'm going to work through Elijah right quick. But the reflection is this. I want you to think through these. Maybe you take a picture of it. You probably won't have time to write it down. We can post them later. Uh, but, but I want you to reflect on these things. What is the one voice you are giving more authority than God in your life? What is that one voice? How are you currently handling criticism and negativity? These are questions I have to ask myself. Where are you failing to love the people that you're called to? Where have you been angry or disappointed in God because things didn't go the way you wanted them to go? And where are your escapist thoughts? Where are you constantly thinking, man, I just wish this were different. I wish I could get out of this marriage. I wish I could get out of this job. I wish I could get into something else. I wish I could get out of this church. I wish I could get out of this kid's ministry. Somebody amen me, right? <laughs> what must you do to deal with all these things? I want you to consider that. Now, and I want to I work through Elijah here really quickly, just, just some main points. But here's what it says. Let me read again, 1 Kings 19, 1 through 4. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. 
Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And so number one, what you have to understand is that discouragement steals your motivation discouragement steals your motivation and this is the interesting thing that I've already essentially went through is that in one day Elijah goes from the mountaintop to the valley in one day and all of a sudden the man that is a superhero has done all of these wonderful miracles his motivation is gone from him and sometimes what I find is that our motivation to get up and just go to church and try to get the kids here is something that we really have to have to dig deep for you know what I'm talking about sometimes life can the motivation out of what God is actually calling you to do and you're discouraged because you feel like a bad parent and you're discouraged because this is going on at work and you're just tired and you just need a day off and all of those things are good and true but do not allow that discouragement to come in to rob you of your motivation to continue to do what God has called you to do no matter how difficult it may become. You know what God's called you to do. You know who God has called to be, called you to be for your family. But these things come in and they creep in and you hear this voice and all of a sudden fear creeps into your life and your motivation is gone and all you do is you go sit under a broom tree because you just want to escape. And can I say this? Sometimes it's okay to go sit under a broom tree. It really is. Sometimes you need to find that place. But 1 Kings 19, 4, it says, And then he asked while he's in this place of discouragement with no motivation left. He had motivation before. He, went, he had the motivation by the word of God to go face Ahab, who he knew wanted him dead and had the power to do it. And he had that motivation, but all of a sudden it's zapped because why? He doesn't any longer want to go face Jezebel. The motivation is gone. And he asked that he might die. So discouragement does another thing. Discouragement steals our joy. And just like I said, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. I remember when I first got into what God had called me to do, man, the joy was overwhelming. When I first got saved, I had vision for all of the wonderful things that God would do. And over time, over the years, I got cuts and wounds that I didn't know how to deal with and process so many times and bitterness in my heart that when God started doing the things that I was dreaming about, I couldn't enjoy them. Consider that. How you get to a place where it's like, God, you're actually doing the things that I prayed about and believed about and we're so excited to see you doing, but now I'm here and I can't enjoy them because somehow or another I've allowed certain wounds in my heart to slowly steal and rob my joy that God wants me to live in. Can I tell you this? I'm so certain of it, that God wants us to find a healthy place in Him where we actually live from a place of joy even when things are difficult. He really does. He wants us to find enjoyment in life. But discouragement comes to steal your joy. And you have to evaluate, where is my joy at right now in this season? He asked that he might die, 1 Kings 19, 4. And then he said this, it's enough. It is enough. Because the third thing that discouragement does is it steals your courage. He's like, you know what, Lord? I've done enough. I've faced Ahab. I've raised the dead. I shut the heavens up. I have done enough. And you know what? I'm afraid right now. I hate to say, I imagine, here's what's interesting, is we have this written down, and you know what? The only people that was even there when this was going on was God and Elijah. Wasn't even nobody else around to, to record this. They didn't know how he was feeling. So Elijah is processing this pain. He's letting somebody know who is recording this in the book where we find out this history of Elijah and he's opening up and saying, you know what, there was a moment after all the victories I had where I was afraid because sometimes you just need to be honest. You just need to be honest and open up and say, this is what I'm dealing with. I'm afraid, I'm worried. I don't think this is going to work out. I don't feel good about this. But that discouragement comes to rob your courage. I cannot imagine all the things that he faced and all of a sudden one woman. I mean, this must have been a bad woman. You know what I'm saying? She must have had snakes just crawling out of her sleeves or something like that. But all of a sudden this one woman says one word and he's discouraged to the point where he's lost his courage to fight. Now let me say this. Courage is not the absence of fear, but it is the ability to act in spite of it. 
I've had a bunch of young people here, actually three. I've had three young people. They've started, they've took it upon themselves to go and minister to some of our sports teams and share the gospel with some of these young people. And they're scared to death when they move into it just like any, anybody else. But if you're going to do even the smallest things that God, and that's not a small thing to me, that is a big thing. To go and speak to teenagers, my God, you need the courage of Elijah. And all of a sudden that courage comes into their hearts and they step out. They're, not, they're, they're afraid, but it's not the absence of fear. It's the ability to act in spite of the fear being there. And we need a boldness from God to step into places that God is calling us to step into and stop playing games with that and say, Lord, I'm ready to do whatever you're asking me to do because this is the way that we're going to reach the world with the gospel. This is the way that we're going to reach people around us. 1 Kings 19.4, once again, he's finishing. He said, oh, it's enough, Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. The fourth thing is that discouragement steals our confidence. He says, I'm no better than my ancestors. And some people are saying that he's just whining. Maybe he's wallowing in self-pity at this point. Maybe he's saying, you know what? My daddy didn't have it like this. My papa didn't have it like this. They lived a good life and you got me down here. He could have been whining. Now others say this. He's saying I'm no better than my ancestors. Others say that his dad and his papa could have been such holy men of God that he watched them die for the cause. And now he's faced with certain death and all of these old emotions are coming up and he's thinking about the loss of his father and his family that stood up for God generation after generation and yet they gave their lives for it generation after generation. And he's like, you know what, Lord, I don't know if I want to go through this like my dad and my papa did. And all of a sudden his confidence is stolen. But here's what I notice among us in a much different way is that, you know, even, even on Sunday night, we had a great worship night last Sunday night. And at one point, it was like people finally broke through the wall of worship and there was response and there was obedience and, and people flooded the altars. But you know what the word came? Tyra got, came up and gave a word and, 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 and the, a couple of things clicked. But the word was about inadequacy. The word was about inadequacy. And what happens, especially when God calls you to something, is you measure yourself up against the very best just model that you could measure yourself against. Well, I can't speak like that person. Or I can't pray. There's nobody that needs anybody to do it like that other person. God's got them to do it there, but you cannot allow discouragement to steal your confidence and lie to you in such a way where you compare yourself to somebody else and think, well, I ain't got no skills. I got no abilities. God can't use me. And all of a sudden, your confidence is completely robbed because you're measuring yourself up against the voices that are saying how you're not something when God has said, I don't care what you are. I've called you to it. And it's not a matter of who you are or your abilities or what you're capable of. It is a matter as, as have I spoken this to you and have I told you to do it? Amen. That's good preaching. But nevertheless, Elijah burned out. He lost his confidence. He ended up burning out. At this point, actually, as many great things as he's done, he feels inadequate. And it says in verse 5, he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. That's what I did on Thanksgiving. And all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and, there, and that's what I did at Thanksgiving too. <laughs> Funny story. Let me take a side, side, side right here. Funny story. I, I was eating turkey like a, at noon, just a huge meal, you know. And I, and I ate a ton, and I had no intentions of doing anything other than going straight to the couch and going to sleep. So I did. I ate it. Then I went to the couch and fell asleep, and people were doing stuff in the kitchen. And all of a sudden, I hear a voice. And something nudged me on the side. I thought maybe, I've been studying about Elijah. I was like, maybe it's an angel. <laughs> and I wake up, and it's Andre's Uncle Brent. <laughs> and he's smiling at me from ear to ear. And he's got another plate with a bone-in pork chop about that thick sitting on the plate. So you know what I did? I got up, I ate the bone-in pork chop, I went back to sleep. <laughs> so I had an Elijah-like experience on Thanksgiving. <laughs> and the Lord was restoring me. Amen. But see, number one, well, let me, let me read this. All at once the angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Yes. <laughs> but A, what you've got to understand is when you're dealing with the discouragement, God does actually restore with rest. It says this angel touched him, and I, I, I don't know about you all, I believe in the supernatural. 
I believe that there is a spirit realm that we live in that is actually, I heard one guy say it the other day, the spirit realm is actually far more populated than the material realm. There's more going on that you can't see than there is than you, that you can see. It is the more real world. There are angels and demons at war on a constant da daily basis for your souls. And I still believe in angelic activity that comes and recharges a person when their heart is for God. And they say, God, I need some help. In the Bible, angel is a word that is actually used that describes messenger though. And sometimes the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is Jesus Christ himself. And in this moment, Jesus says, I see Elijah there. I need to go up and show up and help him. God knows when you are at your end, and he will not leave you alone. He'll send an angel if he has to to strengthen you and raise you up, even during your rest. But sometimes that's exactly what you need to do, is you need to get some rest, and we need to be honest. Sometimes being a leader, and many of you in here, you're leaders. We got leaders of hospitals, leaders of schools, leaders of teams, leaders of families, and being a parent full-time and all the children that you're having. I mean, I got like Seven report, reports this week of more babies that we're having in this church. One of them is Shauna. <coughs> All right, I'm getting out of hand now. I got to reel it back. It's getting late in the day. I'm getting out of hand. It's not Shauna. I'll tell you the other ones later. But sometimes being a leader and being a parent is like wearing a 200-pound jacket. It, I mean, it is just a constant weight of trying to figure out how am I going to make this work? How am I going to lead this? How am I, I going to convince people to move forward? How am I going to convince my kids to move forward in this? And sometimes it gets such a weight that you just have to learn how to process it and be honest with God. And you need to learn ry rhythms, literally, of physical rest. And you've got to find some things that are going to help you that you can enjoy and resting when you can. Now, 1 Kings 19, 9 through 13, it says, There he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He's complaining a little bit. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper or a delicate, gentle, whispering voice. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And B, God restores with his presence. And see, God is constantly, when you're discouraged, he's constantly inviting you back into his presence because that is a place of restoration. And you know, this is one of the reasons that we actually emphasize worship as much as we do. And I know that it's much more comfortable to just sit still and not worship and maybe not even come to an altar and pray. But I actually just believe through experience in God's word that he inhabits the the praises of his people and I believe that obedience unlocks the power and presence of God and sometimes I think when God sees that his people are so hungry that they're taking time to say God we need you and we're seeking you we're not singing songs because we like them and they entertain us on Sunday morning we need you God manifests himself through his presence and all of a sudden you have fresh perspective and in that moment it happened is it happened to me a thousand times I've been worn out with a sour perspective and a bad view of life discouraged and beat up and all all of a sudden in the presence of God there's a gentle whisper to my heart that restores everything in my soul and gives me strength to say okay God I remember who you are and I know who you've done and I feel the burden lift and things break and he's inviting you not to just hear a sermon or not to just come and listen to music he's inviting you into his presence because that is the place of restoration and this gentle whispering voice there's a reason it wasn't in the earthquake sometimes you don't need a great miracle sometimes you need to get close enough to the Lord and get still before the Lord long enough to hear his delicate whispering voice. The reason John heard Jesus before he was going to be crucified was why? He was laying on Jesus' bosom. And when he asked him a question, Jesus answered. And the reason the voice is a whispering voice, I know some of you men, you don't like to get intimate like that, but you've got to start thinking of the Lord Jesus and God himself as somebody that I need to be close to. I need to be near to him because it's when I get near to him I can hear those whispers and those whispers restore my soul. Yeah, it goes on to say in verse 13 and I'm finishing here. You can come to the music. It says, Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. 
The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death by the sword. I am the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. He said, go back the way you came. And go. He doesn't even address his complaints. Sometimes the Lord's like that. It's like you pour out these complaints, and the Lord's like, uh, okay. And then, he, <laughs> and then he goes a different direction. He's like, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Maholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu, and all these things. All right. But then he ends up saying in verse 18, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Number three, God restores with fresh vision. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Because when God comes to you in your self-pity wallering party that you have on occasion, what he's going to say to you is, hey, what are you doing? Think about where you're at. What's going on in your heart? Share with me what you're feeling. And he allows Elijah to make his complaint, but then he redirects his complaint to God's mission, and he says, I've restored you, I've strengthened you, you've rested, and now you've been in my presence. Now let me tell you what you're leaving undone because you've got a wrong perspective. He cries out, Lord, I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. And God says, you don't know what? How, how many of you are like this? You get real dramatic real quick. God says, Elijah, honey, I, I, know you, I know you've had a hard day, but you saying you're the only one left, that's a little bit of an exaggeration. I've actually got 7,000 that have still not bowed their knee to the name of Baal. You're not the only one dealing with a difficult time. Amen. This is how the Lord's dealing with him. And so it, he says, now I need you to go because I need you to go anoint two new kings and I need you to go anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. Because no matter how bad of a day you've had, and no matter how discouraged you get, I'm going to be faithful to restore you, to strengthen you, to encourage you, and remind you of the call. And you need to understand something, Elijah. The life that you have here is not your own. I've bought it with a price. And I'm going to be here, and I'm going to love you, and I'm going to be good to you. But ultimately, this life is not for you to use me to live how you want. This life is for you to surrender completely to me so that I can use you for my purposes and how I want. And in the end, it'll be all for my glory, and you'll be able to rejoice in that for all of eternity. Because you were able to lay down your life and say, okay, Lord, let your will be done, no matter how bad a day that I've had. We all face these things. One guy actually said, A.W. Tozer, he said that, this, he said, those who God will use mightily, he must wound deeply. And I'm like, I don't, think I, I don't think I like that. But sometimes with greater anointing comes greater suffering. The most anointed man in human history was Jesus Christ, and he experienced suffering and rejection that you and I could never really begin to understand. And so sometimes he's saying, look, your suffering, your difficulties have a purpose. But there's some dynamics to discouragement, and you need to understand, I'm, bring, I'm inviting you into my presence. I want to give you rest. I want to bring restoration, and I want to give you fresh vision for your life. But you need to ask yourselves some questions. Matter of fact, as we close, I want, us to, I want to ask those questions that I asked once again, just really quickly. What is the one voice you're giving more authority than God in your life right now? How are you handling criticism and negativity? And where are you failing to love the people you're called to? Where have you been angry or disappointed in God? And where are your escapist thoughts? And what are you going to do at this point now to deal with all these things that are going on in your heart? I want you to bow your heads with me. I'm going to pray. And I'm just going to give you some time after I pray to sit there. They're going to go into a song. And I want you to seriously consider actually responding to the Lord this morning. It's so easy to hear a message, never think about it again, never apply it, never process it, never respond in prayer and say, God, here's what I, here's what I heard, and here's what I need you to do in my heart. It's so easy to do that. And you've got to get to a point where if you actually believe that God's Word is God's Word, then every time you hear it, you should cherish it and you should say, God, how are you speaking to me? And you should learn to respond. So Lord, right now, that's what we ask. We ask 
that through this word I know that there's people dealing with various forms of discouragement and heaviness and inadequacy and fear. And maybe there's one voice that has overwhelmed their lives. But Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to come right now in power. And I'm asking you to become, maybe, maybe it's a gentle whispering voice, just like with Elijah, but it's the most powerful voice in their lives. Restore that voice right now to their hearts and to their minds. And Lord, encourage them right now. Strengthen them, Holy Spirit, so that they gain their confidence back, God. They gain their courage back. Their joy comes back, Lord. And so, Lord, we just speak peace over them right now in Jesus' name. And as they process it, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would lead them and guide them in this. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.